My guest today on the surgery set is Dr. Lee Wilkie of our very own Department of Surgery. With the help of radiologists and engineers, Dr. Wilkie recently introduced a piece of tech that could change the way we treat breast cancer. Traditionally, when a patient would come in to get a breast cancer tumor removed, they would need to have a wire placed through their skin. This wire, placed on or before the day of surgery and not much fun for patients, is used to locate a previously placed clip that indicates the location of the tumor. Until now, Dr. Wilkie has developed a new clip that is detected by a mattress pad when the patient lies down. Then, using a handheld sensor, the clip serves as a GPS for surgeons so they can locate the tumor without needing a wire. Dr. Wilkie shares the collaboration that went into this new technology and some tips for surgeons who have an entrepreneurial side. Enjoy. From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set, a podcast that explores the field's latest innovations with the pioneers at its cutting edge. I'm your host, Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. Thank you for joining us. Dr. Wilkie, welcome to the surgery set. Thanks for coming by the uh, studio here. Thanks for inviting me. I only had to walk down the hall. It's so great. The nicest thing about our division and department is that like, yeah, if you want someone on your podcast, they, they don't have to travel very far. So I, I wanted to talk to you. I actually heard about this new project of yours through a, a report on the news, although I think I'd heard maybe you know murmurings here and there. But you have been a, a major participant in, in developing a new device for breast surgery. Just maybe just take us through that process. And, and, you know, I think we talk a lot in surgery about how we take care of individual patients. But one of the things that we keep coming back to on the podcast is this idea that surgeons are more than just that direct one-on-one patient care, right? That we have a role in advocacy. We have a role in, in industry. We have a role in trying to develop you know, not just the care that we provide now, but like the, the, the care of the future. Just tell us, you know, what was the problem you were trying to solve and then how did you go about fixing it? So I think the background to some of this is understanding a little bit of who my mentors are. Mm. So my mentors were individuals such as Joanne Kurtzberg, who helped develop cord blood transplantation for pediatric cancer treatment. Yeah as well as Robert Bartlett, who helped invent ECMO from Michigan. And so I'd always been exposed to individuals who had new ideas that they took from idea generation to development and implementation in the clinic. About five and a half years ago, I was sitting at a dinner with a radiologist, Fred Lee, who works here at UW, And we were talking about two different things. One, how to treat breast cancer with ablation, which means just killing the tumor either with freezing it or heating it. And he has a previous interest in ablation of liver tumors. I wasn't too keen on the idea of ablating cancers and leaving a hard mass that the woman could feel for an extended period of time. Hmm. Can't feel it when it's in the liver. Right, there's a really like breast specific Problem. Yeah. Correct. So I said I had a bigger problem that I'd been faced with over the last 15 years at that time that when a woman gets a breast cancer, you biopsy it and put a clip in it. That clip is not findable in the operating room. Most cancers right now are not palpable or feelable, quote unquote, and so we're dependent on imaging to show us where the cancer is. So why couldn't that clip be findable in the operating room? Well, we batted around a few ideas and putting a GPS in a woman was not gonna be a very popular idea. 
<laughs> that wasn't going to go over very well. And so over the next several months to a year, we started batting around the idea of just putting a piece of metal in that could be detected in the operating room. And that brought in engineers and actually a CEO of a company, Dr. Lee, had founded previously New Wave, which was microwave ablation of the liver. And by bringing in that CEO and engineer, we could really gel through a series of meetings an idea to bring this to fruition. And one of the components that was really my idea was using the Bovi or the electrocautery pencil as the localizing device. Huh. So we built the system so that there's a clip or a chip on the end of the Bovi that provides the GPS direction to the clip, but the real science is that they figured out you could embed the electromagnetic system into the mattress pad the patient lays on. Whoa. So this took several years of back and forth discussions, iterations of what could happen in an operating room where there is a a lot of electric noise from other machines, instruments, and how could we pinpoint the clip as a mechanism for knowing where the cancer was by using and placing a different clip that could be identified in an operating room. You know, I haven't done breast surgery since I was a resident, but you know, I, I do remember this being like such a problem that there would be this clip that had been previously placed. And then one way that you would sometimes find it is the patients would go down to radiology and they would have a wire Right. That like went through the skin and t- got close to the clip. So every day in right. clinic, I had to explain to patients that in addition to the fact that you just went through a biopsy, you have to go through something else, either the day of surgery or a few days ahead of time, because nowadays we can use radioactive seeds as well as wires. Yeah. Patients hate having wires placed. They usually faint when they're placed. Right. And the radioactive seeds have an, a large associated problem with them because they're radioactivity and a point source of radioactivity. And every state has a different set of regulations for point source radioactivity items. So every university has to come up with a different chain of command for that piece of radioactivity that you can't then apply to a different state. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's like when I heard that you'd done this, I was like, well, of course. So make a clip that you can just find. Right. Now, there's a lot of problems easy to say. So there are other companies out there There's a company called MagSeed that's come up with a magnet that is a clip you can find in the operating room. However, you have to convert to plastic instruments because you can't have metal instruments next to a magnet. Wow. Um, So that's a limitation, though it's still a good clip. Yeah. And then there's another company that came up with one that's radio frequency, like a little antenna, that can turn off occasionally if a bovie gets too close to it. So right. we were trying to overcome, though we were developing these technolo- our technology at the same time these other two companies were. And we have the capability now of really expanding this technology and co-localizing it with x-rays. So mm. the new generation likes heads-up screens. So we created a heads-up screen that allows you to watch your bovie go to the clip with two centimeter incremental diameter rings that'll show you how far you are from the clip. So finally, I can watch a resident and see them do this operation without worrying they're going to get cut through the cancer because I can watch them. Yeah, you can know exactly where they are relative to the clip. With their, which is when they're the with a wire, yeah. I couldn't. They, right. Their hands were in my way of me visualizing this. Yeah. So we come up with a lot of supplements to the technology to really, one, make it education-friendly, 
and two, eventually co-register it with the patient's existing x-rays so we can see it in association with the x-ray while we're operating on it. Wow. So it's that sort of augmented reality that everyone's talking about. Correct. The, the wave of the future is... Yeah, we haven't the done that yet. The future is now, right. But that's the next, that's the next add-on step. step. Wow. Just talk about a little bit about the pragmatics of this. I mean, I, I'm always so fascinated by, by surgeons who make and then disseminate these devices. But you don't, you don't have an, a degree in engineering. No, so you didn't, I definitely don't have So you didn't have to make have... this on your own. What, what, what were the different roles that people were playing? And how did you as a surgeon sort of direct the development of this product? So I think there are different approaches. So hope we are getting a generation of surgeons who are engineers. So my hope is that we'll start to see more of this self-generation of ideas from these groups of bioengineers now that that's a degree that wasn't necessarily so popular back 25 years ago. But it is partnering with the right people. When you come up with new ideas, whether it's an idea of a new drug or a new device, a new way of doing an operation, you do have to partner with the right team members. And I was fortunate that a radiologist and I were having this conversation originally, and then he brought in a unbelievably intelligent engineer. Hmm. I've had this experience in the past where I've worked with engineers when I was at Duke of coming up with a device in the operating room to evaluate margins. It's an optical device and had the opportunity to recognize and realize that partnering with engineers of all different types is really an advantage to surgeons because the engineers don't know what's happening in the operating room. And I don't necessarily, if I'm not an engineer, know how to create a biocompatible device, something that can go inside human tissue or touch human tissue in a safe manner. They know that. I know the piece of the puzzle that needs to be solved. And what was the revolutionary piece of this technology is embedding a detection in a mattress pad that could be safe and had no safety issues in terms of the patient laying on it. Whereas when we were working on the optical device, we realized there's a lot of optical noise in an operating room, just like you might imagine in terms of lights, the different degree of lighting that can happen in an operating room Mm -hmm. that can affect optical evaluation of tissue. And so that combination of engineers and surgeons is a fascinating one. And I still meet engineers in a random situation sometimes, and conversations can lead to improvements in an operating room. Yeah, it's like they have the solutions and we have the problems, right? They sometimes don't recognize what we do that may be archaic that they could have fixed years ago. Yeah, right. This is, uh, it's it's so interesting. How How did the process of developing this evolve? I assume you like, built prototypes in a lab and tested them in animals or? I'll say that I've been through two different processes. When I was at Duke and working on this optical device, it was funded through grants. And there are a series of grants that really allow individuals to partner with companies. It's primarily what are called SBIR and STTR grants Mm -hmm. that are grants where you have a small company that the company gets a little bit of the money for maybe the product development while the institution gets money to really generate and complete the idea. We also had a grant called a Coulter Grant. The Coulter Society supports a lot of institutional partnerships, Hmm. but STTRs, SBIRs, and Coulter Grants. For this idea uh, where we were generating a new technology for the operating room for clip identification, most of the work was done in laboratories that were off-site. It wasn't necessarily generated 
within the university. Um, this was something I did kind of outside my university time. Some universities, that is not possible, and every university is a little bit different in how ideas are generated, but this idea actually was generated at a dinner meeting, not actually at UW, yeah. because we were talking about something else originally. But I think I've certainly had partnerships. I have a patent with David Beebe right now which is an implantable device in cancers to do on-site treatment of the cancer in situ or in the cancer. Oh, wow. And again, it's a discussion with the engineers developing the idea in a lab and then working, in this case, different than the Elucent company, with Wharf to generate the patents yeah. through the Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation. That's like our internal intellectual property group. So Correct. It's cool so that there's, there's a, like series a, of a lot of different ways to do it. Right? Correct. Yeah. And then with Elucent, it was the CEO hiring regulatory specialists and lawyers to develop the patents and complete the patents and then complete the 750-page FDA um, submission document. There are obviously different mechanisms through the FDA for getting a device approved. The easiest is if there's a predicate. And in this case, there was a predicate, i.e. there was an idea that came before that had to do the larger proof of principle while we just had to prove we were similar to something else. Right. Um, so you could say So look, being these the clips first exist. of something is sometimes harder. Right. Okay. Right. But being like an improvement on an existing technology. Or a new works, so yeah. type technology, it's a little bit easier. And uh, you can clearly point to some benefits of not being radioactive, say Correct. and right. Correct. Yeah. This process has been about a five and a half year process. I've learned a lot about what's required for the FDA in terms of safety, though mm -hmm. I haven't done that personally. Yeah. I've learned a lot about venture capital investing and in enticing venture capitalists to get interested in your idea. That's not something I dealt with with the other two kind of mild inventions as they were both university embedded and dependent on prior grants. But there certainly are, as universities are becoming a more linked possibility with industry, with various different mechanisms to link through industries, it is possible to do the grant to company process through a university. We had Rock Mackey on the yeah. um, podcast sort of talking about how internally the university and UW Health is sort of developing these systems where you can take your idea and get some you know, internal venture capital and help kind of ramping these right. things up. So, I mean, it, clearly there, there are many, many ways that you can approach this. What advice would you have for the, you know, surgeon or surgical resident listening to this who, who has an idea but doesn't necessarily get invited to dinner parties with entrepreneurial radiologists <laughs> as frequently as you do? So I think if you have an idea, searching for an engineer who has a similar interest. If you mm -hmm. have an idea in microwave technology or lighting technology, then you want to look for engineers that have a similar approach and ask to meet with them. Ask, look at their grants, look at their history of research and see if it's something that might be similar. Whether it's a radiologist, an engineer, I think we fail to recognize the importance of the medical physics world. Hmm. So medical physicists work intensely with our radiologists and radiation oncologists and have an enormous number of imaging ideas that if partnered with surgeons would result in a lot of improvement in our operative visualization of anatomical structures. Yeah, and these are people that every hospital has, right? Right, yeah. correct. Yeah. Now, UW is fortunate to have the, the largest medical physics department in the world. Right, <laughs> and the most MRIs per capita. Correct, yes. <laughs> correct. It's such a good reminder that 
that in a university setting, like we tend to just sort of focus on the hospital and the clinical care, but like, right, we are part of a university and there are people here who know how to do all sorts of things and, and maybe are looking, saying like, oh, I have this technology, I can like figure out where something is when it's in the middle of tissue type material. Oh, I don't know what I would ever do with that, right? Like right. finding that synergy between the people who know what the problem is and the people who know what the technological solutions are. Fortunately, we live in an era where it's much more encouraged to collaborate and work together to come up with ideas and refine ideas. And I think whether it's engineers or AI specialists or mathematicians, statisticians, there are ways to solve problems now that we haven't had in the past. And I think those conversations are what gonna, are what going to generate new ideas. I've always thought we should have as many engineers in an operating room as possible. However, I learned early on that when you invite an engineer into the OR, they have to understand that the sight and sounds are different than what they're used to. Um, and I've had a few, quote unquote, go to ground oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, where I had the OR nurses catching them. So you do have to be careful how you expose the engineers to the operating room. Right. And um, we need to make sure that they understand. And they certainly are extremely cognizant of patient confidentiality, but just didn't understand what they were about to see. Yeah, fascinating. Well, thank you so much for joining us, for telling us the story of, of this the first, or not hardly the first of your innovations, and uh, and I'm sure not the last either. But this is just so fantastic to to hear about, you know, finding just knowing there's a problem and then just being creative and thoughtful about how to how to solve it. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Kohler, for inviting me. Next time on the Surgery Set, I'm joined by Dr. Argavon Salas of Stanford University. Dr. Salas is not only a surgeon but also a gender equity researcher in the healthcare field. Her incredible work focuses on bias, inequality, harassment, and more, all in the name of reaching gender equality in medicine. Dr. Salas talks about her findings as well as her personal experiences, and she talks about publishing pieces on sites such as Time and USA Today. We discuss the current sentiment towards women in healthcare, how her findings are interpreted by mainstream publications, and the hurdles she encounters when translating her academic research into messages that make a difference. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Invite your friends to listen in. And if you're feeling generous, please rate us on your favorite podcast app. It really does make a huge difference. Thanks. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by J.P. Swenson. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. Visit us at surgery.wisc.edu where you can find links to grand rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. Give our Facebook page a like and follow us on Twitter at Wisc Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Until next time, from all of us here at The Surgery Set, thank you for listening. On Wisconsin.